worship. This chorus is called Step by Step. We say, God, you're my God, and I will ever, I will ever praise you. So throw with me as we sing together. Oh, God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you.
Good morning, Brinesburg. It is good to see you here on this Sunday morning, and we're excited to be together here for one purpose, and that is to worship our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are so glad that you're here today. For those of you that are joining us through television or through Facebook Live, we welcome you today as well. So glad that you're with us. For those of you that are joining us through Facebook, again, there in the comments section, let us know you're there. We'd love to hear from you. If there's a prayer need, anything that we can do for you, we got folks manning that comment section, you let us know, and we'd love to pray for you this morning. And again, thank you for being with us. For those of you, this may be your first opportunity to be with us here in worship. We want to welcome you as well. Uh, you'll notice in the pew in front of you, there is a card, and if you'll fill that out in that table right there in the middle of the foyer as you're leaving today, drop that in there, and that'll be your gift to us today. Uh, and we're so glad that you've uh, chosen to worship with us here at Brinesburg today. Uh, many things in your bulletin, but we do have one card uh, of, of thanks uh, from the family of Albert Crossnow in the home going of Miss Fleeta uh, this week, and we want to pray for them. But uh, the, it's a thank you card that says, Thank you, Brinesburg Church family, for the prayers, encouragement, and kindness during the past few months of Fleeta's declining health. Thank you also for all that provided food, and especially the ladies that provided the wonderful meal after the funeral. In our time of loss and grief, we realize the true blessing of Christian friends, and that's from Albert and family, and, and we continue to pray for them, and good to see Albert back this morning. Uh, we do have several of announcements this morning that we want to point out to you. Uh, notice the senior adult meal uh, is going to be uh, on the 30th. Is that Friday? Friday, yes, thank you. Uh, that'll be Friday evening at 6 o'clock, and that'll be over at the activities building, and so uh, bring your favorite side dishes and desserts. And it's uh, going to be a wonderful time out there with our senior adults. Also, uh, we've been mentioning this for a few weeks, but if you uh, would like some training in the area of discipleship or Sunday school or children's ministry, youth ministry, any of those areas, uh, we'd love for you to go with us to the Equip Training Conference. Uh, that's something that we're going to provide to all of our folks. You just need to let me know you want to go, and several of you have done that. And, and I'll get you registered. All you got to do is just give me your name, and we'll get you registered. And that's going to be at Trace Creek in Mayfield. Um, on August the 16th from 6.30 to 9. So wonderful training, a good opportunity for you to uh, uh, be able to hone those skills uh, to be able to do an even greater job in those ministries the Lord has called you to. Uh, many other things starting up, going on right now, so make sure that you do read in your bulletin. Um, if I look a little tired, we got back from youth camp 24 minutes ago. I'm not kidding, 24 minutes ago. And 24 minutes ago, I had on a t-shirt and shorts, so... Uh, we're excited to be back with you. We got some excited kids. It was a wonderful week. Uh, you see some in the choir. If they fall asleep, the ones with the t-shirts on, it's because they just got back 24 minutes ago. Uh, but we uh, appreciate the church family uh, allowing us to be part of that. And we, you're going to hear about that next week more and about youth camp and what's go been going on this summer. Uh, but uh, we're, we're so thankful for a church family that pours so much into the lives of our children and our youth. We do have many on our prayer list, and we want to continue to remember all of those families. Uh, who are experiencing issues of uh, he declining health, 
um, the loss of loved ones, relationships that are broken, um, whatever it may be, but most importantly, we pray for those who uh, have someone that's near and dear to their heart who's lost, that doesn't yet have that relationship with Jesus, and we pray that uh, today might be that day of salvation for them, where they recognize that the Lord's calling their name, and that they respond in faith to him. Let's go to the Lord and pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to lift up our voices and to praise you, to lift up our hearts to you as a sacrifice of praise. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come boldly before your throne of grace and to know that not only do you hear us, but Lord, you respond to us. And Lord, you respond to us in the best way, and that is not always giving us what we ask for, but you give us what we need. And this morning as we come to you, I recognize that we have many hurting families today for a variety of different reasons. Lord, some families are experiencing loss today. But Lord, we know that uh, we know where those loved ones are. They're at home with you, but Lord, the hurt is still there. Some folks this week have gotten difficult diagnosis from the doctor. And Lord, we give that over to you today. And we ask you to just handle that. Lord, for others, there's relationships that are broken and mending. For some, it's an addiction that seems to have a grip on them. And Lord, we just pray that the Holy Spirit, they might be free. But most importantly today, we pray for the lost. We pray for those who have come here today because of a divine appointment from you. That Lord, you want to speak to them. And you want to tell them how that they can come into a relationship with you. And experience true freedom and purpose in life. And so Lord, today, help us to recognize we're here for the audience of one. For you and you alone. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.
come to the time now in our service where we're able to come to this altar and spend some time in prayer. And I know that many of our families today, many of us as individuals, we have things on our hearts uh, that we need to lay down today. Uh, things that are, are heavy, uh, things that we know that we can't carry. And so we want to give you the opportunity right here at the beginning of the service uh, to prepare your heart so that you can hear from the Lord, so that you can be receptive to what he is calling you to today. And so now with every head bowed, with all eyes closed, I want you to know the altar is open at this time. Whatever the need may be, would you come? Our gracious, kind, loving, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come here to your house to study and to hear your word. Lord, we just ask you to be with all the prayer requests, ones in the hospitals, ones in the rest homes, Heavenly Father. Bring them back to much wanted health. For those that are hurting, Heavenly Father, be with them. Lay your healing hand upon them like we know you can, Heavenly Father. Lord, just continue us with the rest of this day. May we always put you first in our life. And Lord, may you forgive us for where we failed you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and praise him. Give him all the glory for the great things that he has done. Let's stand together.
you, Hannah, for that special music. What an awesome time of worship through song we've already had this morning and prepared our hearts uh, for God's word as he desires to teach us and encourage us and equip us and correct us uh, through his word today. If you will, turn with me to Revelation, Revelation 19, Revelation 19. Now, we've been through some pretty dark chapters here as we've been journeying through this letter that Jesus has given to us, Revelation that he gave to John. But this is a beautiful, gleaming picture of light here in chapter 19. If you like weddings, you're going to like chapter 19 of Revelation. And that's exactly what we have here. But not just any wedding. We have the most uh, amazing, elaborate, uh, most wonderful wedding of all time that we are going to be talking about this morning. It is the wedding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to his bride, the church. And so this morning, I want you to turn your attention to the royal wedding. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity to worship, to pray, Lord, to be able to study your word. And Lord, as we come to this place, I'm sure many of us have had a long week, and, and Lord, a lot of different things have gone on. Lord, maybe we're looking ahead to an, another busy week ahead. Uh, Lord, and there could be a lot of distractions around us. But Lord, I pray right now that you'd remove all distractions and help us to focus on you and your word today. Lord, help us to hear from you, and I pray that if there's even one here with us today that doesn't yet have that personal love relationship with you, that today would be the day where you would speak to them, and they would hear your voice, and they would respond in faith to your invitation for a relationship. And so, Lord, today, I know that I'm a very weak vessel. I pray that you might hide me behind the cross, that only you'd be seen and only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Marriage is a blessing. Uh, for those of you, especially those of you men who know what's good for you, you're going to say amen there, okay? <laughs> good luck, guys. <laughs> Marriage is a blessing. Amen. There you go. Now you don't have to sleep on the couch. Marriage is a blessing. Uh, it is what the Lord has given to us so that we have somebody to, to journey through life with, to do life with. And a Christian marriage is awesome because a Christian marriage points to Christ's love for his bride, the church. Every time I do premarital counseling, every time I do a wedding, that is the focus point of what we talk about, is that this marriage isn't just about these two wonderful people who love each other, you know, everything, things are going to be wonderful, man, there's going to be problems. But anyway, uh, it's about the fact that hopefully, hopefully, both of these people know Jesus, if I'm doing the wedding, they both know Jesus, and that this marriage is going to be a picture of Christ's love for his bride, the church. And so, I've been richly blessed to be married uh, to Robin, uh, to do life with her, to do ministry with her. And uh, next Monday, we'll be married for 18 years, which officially qualifies her for sainthood. Uh, but uh, it's been a blessing. Marriage has been a blessing. Now, uh, if, if you know anything about, about weddings, uh, many times they can be quite spectacular. Uh, thousands of dollars are spent trying to produce that perfect moment in time that will join this couple together in marital bliss. And typically the church is decorated to the hilt. Uh, the bride is stunning. 
in her pure white wedding dress. Uh, the groom is standing there in the most uncomfortable shoes he will ever wear, um, as nervous as he can be. And it's a special moment in the lives of those two individuals and for the people who know them and for the people who love them. Weddings here on earth are a special occasion. Everyone who has a wedding is looking for that marriage that is made in heaven. Now, I, I know that while some marriages may have been made in heaven, they still have to be lived out here on this earth, don't they? And so that tends to make most of them less than perfect, other than Robin and I's. It's perfect. Uh, but mo most ha have, have some issues. There's some times, there's some rocky spots. And so you see, the, 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 this, is, this is the picture that, that Christ is giving to us here. We've arrived at this exciting portion of Revelation. After the dark and dreary passages that we have had to endure through, uh, these verses come and gleam out the glory of heaven. And we're going to talk about a wedding today. And that's exciting. Not just any wedding, though, but this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. So if you're a Baptist, not only is it a wedding, but it's also a supper. And it doesn't get any better than that. And so this is an exciting time. This wedding will be a time of great joy for all of the redeemed people of God. You see, the church here, the, the, the end times shape up like this for us is the church. In the rapture, we will be called up. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we will be cleaned up. But we see here at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will be cheered up. And if you're saved, I want you to know that there are some blessed days ahead for you. The most amazing days that you can imagine. And if you're lost, I want you to know that you need to get ready. That you don't need to stay in that lost condition. Because one day you will meet the Lord. He's coming. And he's coming after his people. He's going to rapture his people. And if you're not part of that group, referred to as his people, the church, the rest will be left behind to endure what we've looked at, which is the tribulation, and then finally to face the fires of hell. And so this morning, I want you to join me in taking a closer look at the soon-to-come royal wedding. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation 19, let's look at these first ten verses. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again, they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and they worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunders, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready unto her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith to me, Write, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You may be seated. What an awesome, awesome time this will be at the royal wedding. And what a wonderful time that it will be. In verses 1 through 6, we see a royal celebration. Now, typically, a wedding is followed by a celebration. It's followed. But the, the, t- the time before a wedding, though, here on earth right now, is usually filled with tremendous stress and many hours of preparation. Uh, and so while it is a happy time for those involved, it's anything but a time of celebration. But in heaven, praise the Lord, things are different. It seems from this passage that heaven rejoices before and after the wedding. And I like that. The, the cause of all this rejoicing is mentioned there in verse 7. It seems that the marriage of the Lord Jesus is the catalyst for heaven's anthems of praise. Those in heaven lift their voices in four alleluias that fill the heavens with praise. We see in verse 1, the alleluia of God's salvation. Heaven praises the Lord for all that he has done. For the fact that he came, that, that he lived the perfect life, and for the fact that he willingly went to the cross, for the fact that he willingly shed his blood, for the fact that he didn't stay in that tomb, but on Sunday the tomb was found to be empty because he arose, for the fact that he reigns. They're saved. And they're in heaven, and they have a reason to shout. Now, years ago in Wales, there lived a man by the name of Billy Bray. And he was one of those old-fashioned church guys that loved to shout. And many of the people who heard him shout would rebuke him for the loudness of the way that he would praise the Lord so often. But whenever they would try to stop old Billy, he would respond by saying, I just can't help it. God has been so good to me that with every step, I just remember his glory. And so I put my right foot down, and it says hallelujah. And I put my left foot down, and it says amen. And they said that old Billy Bray would march off just shouting hallelujah, amen, hallelujah, amen. Because Billy Bray knew that God deserved praise for the salvation that he had brought to sinners. And so he gave him that praise. But in verses 2 through 3, we see the hallelujah of God's sentence. The residents of heaven praise the Lord for executing judgment upon a lost, sinful, and rebellious world. And we've looked at this in, in, in chapter 18 as well. They know that his judgments are fair. They know that his judgments are right. They know that ultimately his judgments are perfect, and therefore they praise his name. But in verses 4 through 5, we see the hallelujah of God's sovereignty. If you take the time to look through the book of Revelation, these 24 elders who are mentioned, they show up six different times. And every time we see them, do you see what they're doing? Every time we see them, they're they're doing the same thing. Every time we find them in the same position, falling on their faces and worshiping the Lord. Now, just to let you know a little secret about these 24 elders, 
these, these 24 elders represent the redeemed of God. And so if you are saved this morning, then that represents you. It represents me. We are what is being spoken of when it speaks of these 24 elders. We are the ones who are being found upon our faces in worship of the Lord. And why? Why, why the praising of the Lord so much? Because in heaven, in, in heaven, we finally are free from the limitations of the flesh. And we can finally see God for who he truly is. No longer afraid or ashamed to worship him, but now ready and willing and able to fall down before the Lamb of God and to shout praises to him. To shout those praises. If it, if it ever dawned on us, in the here and the now, the reality of all that God is and all that he has done for us and, and all that is ours as his children, listen to me, Brownsburg. There is not a saved person here this morning that wouldn't shout themselves hoarse praising God for all that he's done. And praise the Lord, one day we will be able to shout to our heart's content because our resurrected bodies won't get hoarse. We'll be able to praise him as he's truly worthy to be praised. But also in verse 6, we see the hallelujah of God's supremacy. Then they praise the Lord for his reign. That means they glorify the Lord. That is, at last, he is honored and exalted and worshipped by all of his creation. Thank God there's coming a day when the Lord will have the glory and honor that he deserves all the time. I look forward to being in that number when we stand there at the throne and we lift up our hallelujahs to the honor and to the glory of God. I want to call your attention to verse 4. There are two heavenly words that are mentioned here that, that deserve our attention this morning. And the, that word, the first word, is amen. Amen is a word that signifies agreement with or approval of the word of God. And so when amen appears at the beginning of a sentence, it means truly. This word was used by Jesus on many occasions, and when it's spoken concerning the words uttered by another, it means, I agree, or so be it. And so, amen is said to be the most widely known word in the world. If you've been on missions, if you've been to any country, there is a word that you're going to recognize, and it's the word, amen. It's, it's, it's understood in every language. The word, alleluia, is Hebrew. It's a Hebrew word meaning praise the Lord. And so it's used only one time in the New Testament, and it was to honor and glory of the Lamb. It is heaven's praise word. Alleluia. And so I just want you to, to say that if, if you and I intend to be in tune with heaven, then we need to learn the vocabulary of heaven. And so these are the words that we need to know. Amen and alleluia. When we go to Brazil on missions, uh, my, my Portuguese is anything but fluent, okay? I, I know just enough to get myself in trouble. Uh, so usually, I stick with two words that I know are easily translated in English or Portuguese, and that is amen and alleluia. And so as they are preaching their hearts out in Portuguese, I'm saying amen, alleluia, so that it looks like I know what I'm talking about. 
Because it's understood in every culture and every language. It's understood because these are heavenly words. It's all right to praise the Lord. If something blesses your heart, try saying amen. Just try saying it. If the Lord is moving in your soul, try saying hallelujah. I guarantee you that it will not hurt you. Nothing's going to happen to you when you say that, okay? You can praise God in the same way that you're going to in heaven. I realize that we live in a day and time when people frown sometimes upon uh, those who use vocal praise of the Lord during times of worship. But I, I, I want you to know that as your pastor, vocal praise is what we're going to be doing for eternity in heaven. So we might want to get some practice in the here and the now, huh? Since this is what we're going to be doing forever and ever and ever, try doing it now. Try saying amen. Try saying hallelujah. You, you, you might want to get your practice in now. Secondly, we see in verses 7 and 8, a royal union. This marriage will be the consummation of some particularly important and powerful events. We see there in verse 7, the excitement of a completed plan. Notice the words, is true. Now, these words imply a sense of relief that a long-anticipated event has finally arrived. And nothing can betray her. At this moment, God's plan for the ages is finally complete. Since man sinned there in the Garden of Eden, God has been working to bring, back, to, to bring man back into fellowship with himself. Uh, and and that's, that, that's what God's been working and doing all these thousands of years, is positioning us in a place where we can come back into that fellowship that he so desired for us all along. This was accomplished when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of humanity. Now all those who place their faith in Jesus are saved by grace, the grace of God, and they are brought nigh unto him. So we have been able to regain that right design that God had for us all along. While many may be saved, they're still not in the very presence of God in heaven. We, we still find ourselves living in this world. But on this day, all that's going to change. This is the moment when Jesus gets to receive his bride unto himself. And this will be the most special moment in all of history, of creation. This is the most special moment. It will be the moment when the Lamb of God takes his bride, the church, unto himself. And by the way, did you notice that at this wedding, the groom, notice, the groom, not the bride, the groom is the center of attention. Can you imagine if the groom was the center of attention in a wedding today? There'd be some angry women, wouldn't there be? I mean, at a, in, our, in our weddings today, we're all sitting just like this, very, very dignified, and just waiting. And all of a sudden we hear, dum, dum, da, dum. Everyone rises to their feet. All attention goes to those back doors. They fling open, and there is the bride in her brilliant dress. All attention focused on her. And as she walks down that aisle, every eye follows her. But not here, not in this wedding. In this wedding, it couldn't be more different. It's not the bride, but it is the groom, the Lord Jesus himself, who is the center of attention. And you know what? On this particular wedding, the one who gives him the most attention 
is the bride herself. It's us. It's the church who will give him the most attention. We're more than happy for Jesus Christ to be the center of everyone's attention on that day. In verses 7 through 8, we see the excitement of a completed presentation. It might help us to understand here just a little background of of what type of wedding we're talking about here. And this is a Middle Eastern wedding. And in a Middle Eastern wedding, there were typically three stages to the wedding. Now, Now, hang with me here. This is important in understanding what is happening here, okay? And understanding why this is such a beautiful illustration of what is going on. And so there was the betrothal stage, there was the presentation stage, and there was the celebration stage. So let's start with the betrothal stage. The betrothal stage was something like what we know as an engagement, but much more important, okay? Because the major difference lies in the fact that the betrothal in a Middle Eastern marriage was legally binding. And so when a couple was betrothed, they were considered to be married. They, there, was, there was no getting out of it, in other words, except for through divorce or through death. So even though the couple did not dwell together, even though they didn't yet share the marriage bed together, they were nonetheless married for all intents and purposes. Another difference was that the marriage partners and the marriages themselves were usually arranged by parents of the bride and the groom. And so you didn't get to pick your mate. So love was not usually the basis of marriages. You didn't marry for love. You loved who you married. And so the bride of Christ is in the midst of this betrothal period right now. And we have been picked. Isn't that awesome? We have been picked by the Heavenly Father. And we are married right now to Jesus. Okay, so it's not just that we have to wait to be married to him. We're married to him right now. That The relationship is already there. We are already the bride of Christ, okay? We're just waiting to go home to him. So that's the betrothal stage. Then there's secondly the presentation stage. So when the time of the wedding arrived, the father of the groom would send the bridegroom and, and his friends to the bride's home. And they would get her and they would bring her back to the groom's house which he had prepared for her with great celebration, with great joy. Their, their gifts would be exchanged, the marriage would be consummated, and the couple would begin their lives together. And so that is what we're waiting on today. That's, that's what we're waiting for. We are married. We're just waiting on the bridegroom. We're waiting on the Lord Jesus to come and to call us his bride to meet him. Brinesburg, that day is coming, okay? It's not an if. It is a when. When that day comes, are you ready? When that day comes, will you be a part of the church, a part of the bride of Christ? When that day comes, will you be raptured up to go with the bridegroom? Or will you be left here because you are not a part of his church? That's a big question for you to answer today. Because only the church, only his bride is leaving with him. Only his bride's going home with him. But then that brings us to the festival stage. Following the wedding, the couple, their friends and their families would then enter into a great time of celebration. And so with that in mind, hold on to that for just a second. Put that to the side. We're going to talk about that at length here in just a minute. But that's the celebration stage. We will come back to that. So then go down to verses 7 and 8. 
we see the excitement of a completed presentation. Notice that the text says, his wife had made herself ready. Typical Middle Eastern brides prepared their own wedding garments. And so those wedding garments could be as elaborate or as simple as they chose to make them. And usually that would consist of two pieces. The first piece was the inner garment, and that was called the tunic. And then the second garment was the outer garment called the toga. And so it was the bride's responsibility to get herself ready for the wedding. Let me say that again. It was the bride's responsibility. She's already been selected, okay? She's already the bride. But it was her responsibility to get herself ready for the coming of the bridegroom, okay? And so you and I need to understand that we, too, are to prepare ourselves for the day of the coming of our bridegroom. You see, verse 8 says that the bride of Christ will be clothed in white linen and that, that this linen is the righteousness of the saints. I take that to imply that, that how simply or how elaborately that we're dressed may depend on the kind of life that we've lived for Christ. He is, the Father has, has chosen us to be in relationship with his Son, and now it's up to us of how we are preparing ourselves by living the kind of life that he's called us to live through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's illustrate this. There's three different kinds of righteousness that a person can have. The first kind of righteousness is personal, is personal righteousness. Personal righteousness is the kind of righteousness that you can produce in and of yourself. Guess what? Nothing. In fact, if you look at Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it's evil, it's no good, in fact, it's described as filthy rags. And if you want to know what that, that truly means, look it up. It's nasty, okay? Filthy rags is disgusting in what is being spoken of by Isaiah in Isaiah 64, 6. It's the grossest thing you can imagine. That is what our righteousness in and of ourselves is. In our own righteousness, we are literally dressed in filthy, rotten rags before the Lord. That is our personal righteousness. Secondly is provided righteousness. This is the righteousness that we are given when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior and Lord. This refers to that, that tunic. It refers to that inner garment, what we couldn't do ourselves, what was given to us. We have been provided with the spotless inner garment of righteousness. That is the righteousness of Christ. That is why when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he doesn't see our mistakes, he doesn't see our failures, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees Jesus when he looks at you and me. Not because we're perfect, but because we've been clothed in that inner tunic of the righteousness that Christ has put upon us. And then there is practical righteousness. And this is what we're really talking about here, the preparation. This is the righteousness that we live out on a day-by-day -day basis in this world. And so it refers to how we conduct ourselves, how well we submit to the authority of, of, of the Lord, and, and how we use the opportunities and the gifts, the responsibilities, the privileges that we've been given now as children of God. This speaks of the outer garment, of the toga uh, that the world can actually see. It is pure speculation here. This is, this is Brother Brad talking here. But if you, if you look at what's being spoken of here, how well we are dressed at the wedding seems like it depends on what kind of life we've lived for the Lord in the here and the now. That's what it seems like is being said here. That preparation 
for the presentation. It seems like that's what it's being spoken of here. And so might it be, might it be that at the, at the judgment seat of Christ, that these wedding garments will be handed out because of how we've lived our lives and that they will reflect how obedient we've been, how, how, how well we've done what Christ has called us to, how, how obedient to his callings that we've been. It's something to think about. But the important fact here is that the bride has made the proper preparations and she is ready for this wedding. She is home, she is loved, and she is ready to enter into the joy of the Lord. What a day that will be for the church, the bride of Christ. Then look with me at verses 9 and 10. And we see a royal supper. As I said, as Baptists, we should be getting excited right now. There's going to be a meal, okay? And so this wedding will continue with a celebration. But this celebration will be like nothing this universe, not this world, but this universe has ever seen. Let me just suggest a, a few brief thoughts here. First, the, the guests at the wedding supper. There will be guests at this heavenly wedding. Well, okay, there's the bride. Well, who are the guests going to be? Well, it seems that the guests are going to be the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. It, it will be a group made up of all the Jews and Gentiles who were saved before Pentecost and then after the rapture. And that will be quite an assembly of people. But then we also see the glory of the wedding supper. After a Middle Eastern wedding, there was always a celebration. And so the length and scale of the event all depended upon the wealth of the bridegroom, okay? So if you were very wealthy, a rich man, uh, then the wedding celebration might last for seven days, okay? So the daddy here, God the Father, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, okay? This is going to be something, okay? How do we know it's going to be something? Because we're told that the Lord Jesus is going to present his bride with a, with a celebration that's going to last how long? Do you know? 1,000 years. That is quite a celebration. After the wedding, we will return with him to this earth, and he will put down his enemies, he will establish the throne of this earth, and then he and his bride will reign together during the millennium. For 1,000 years. That is quite the celebration. When we think of royal weddings, if you are my age, if you are older than, than me, um, then you probably remember one wedding that sticks out the most when you think of royal weddings. And which wedding would that be? Princess Diana. That's right. To Charles, okay? So back in 1981, the wedding of Charles the Prince of Wales and Lady Diana Spencer is all anyone could talk about in Britain and around the world. It was a spectacle of enormous cost. And we're told that literally billions of people, billions of people worldwide, had their eyes right there on their television sets watching that royal wedding. However, if you know anything about the royal family, that wedding was doomed. Okay, that didn't end well, did it? Uh, that wedding exploded about as publicly as it came together in the beginning. Brinesburg, I'm telling you about a real royal wedding this morning. This is a real royal wedding. And it is a wedding that will be attended by more people than any other in history. It is a wedding that will be more extravagant than any other in history. It is a wedding that will produce a marriage that will last longer than any other in history. I guarantee it because it's going to last for eternity, okay? And so, 
It is the only true royal wedding ever. Because the true king is the one receiving a bride. We see the groom at the wedding supper as well. In a typical Middle Eastern wedding celebration, the groom would mingle with guests to be sure that everyone had all their needs met. Imagine what it will be like to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. To have him occupied with seeing that our joy is full. Can you imagine that? That Jesus is, is going to be concerned about our joy. Jesus will actually serve his people on that day. We're told there in Luke chapter 12, verse 37. Sometimes that kind of, that kind of thing, it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around the fact that, that Jesus would love us that much. That, that after all he's already done, that, that he's still looking after our joy in our lives. I can imagine the society page in the New Jerusalem Times that next day. Yesterday, the Lamb of God took his bride unto himself in a service that was presided over by the Heavenly Father. The bride was dressed in garments of glorious white, and she was spotless and without blemish. The groom was clothed in glory. The angelic host lifted up their voices together, and they praised the name of the Most High God, while the cherubim and the seraphim honored overhead crying out, holy, holy, holy. After the service, the couple left heaven to return to the earth for a 1,000-year honeymoon. And when they returned, they planned to spend eternity together in the palaces of heaven. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That sounds pretty good. My friends, the, the question again comes back to this. Are you ready for this royal wedding? There will be a royal wedding, but only the redeemed are going to be invited. Are you going to be a part of the church? Are you going to be a part of the church that is raptured to join the bridegroom? Are you going to be there? If you're not yet in that position, if you're not yet in that relationship with Jesus, listen to me. You can be. You can be. If you hear that still small voice of the Lord whispering your name, and he's whispering your name and he's saying, as my own. I want you to be my bride. I want you to be in an intimate relationship with him. If you hear him speaking your name this morning, would you say yes to him? What could possibly be the, be the reason for pushing him away? People tell me all the time, well, you know, coming forward, I'm just so nervous about that. You would, all this, the nervousness of walking in front of these people, really? I mean, come on. You're going to give up all this because I'm nervous about walking in front of these people? And that walking in front of these people isn't what's going to save you. What's going to save you is repenting of sin and trusting by faith in the finished work that Jesus Christ did to make you his bride. Do you want that today? Do you want that kind of relationship with Jesus today? If you do, if you do today, you can come. You can say yes to him. Maybe you're already part of the bride. But you just want to come and you just want to say, Lord, help me to prepare myself in a greater way. Help me to have those those garments that you desire for me to have, that toga that, that represents me living the life that you've called me to live. Maybe you just want to come and just say, Lord, help me to, to, to serve you all the more completely in the ways that you've called me to. Maybe you, some of you just need to join this church family and begin to serve in this place. I don't know what it might be that you need to do today, but would you be obedient to the Lord in the way that he has called you? Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you so much. It's hard for us to fathom the glory of that day. Uh, when 
when we, your church, are united with, with our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, in that amazing ceremony, in that ma- amazing celebration. But Lord, I recognize that we've got some friends today that don't yet have that relationship. And that needs to be settled today. And so, Lord, I, I pray that they would be comfortable to come forward. I, I pray that they would be willing to ask the questions, to sit down and talk, so that they, too, could be a part of this amazing experience of being with you forever and ever and ever in this amazing relationship that you have offered to us, not because of anything that we have done, but because of your finished work upon the cross of Calvary. Lord, we love you. We pray for you to work as only you can today. In Jesus' name we pray.